Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. And it is Dallas week here for sure in week four, a big game for Washington. There's obviously the rivalry against their arch nemesis in the NFC East, but also coming off that rough game in week three against another NFC East rival in the Philadelphia Eagles. Washington needs a win for sure to stay. I mean, not in the chase, but like maybe, you know, to get everybody kind of off the ledge, it's been a, it's been a rough week. You can tell in town, uh, just at least based on my own anecdotal evidence off of Twitter comments I've had talking to people, um, in my own life and on the side. Um, I'm not saying that the players and the coaches feel that way. I think they're, Handling business as usual, but nonetheless, I think everybody recognizes what happened here last week. And to that end, I've got two great guests on this episode to go back a little bit to last week and and try to figure out what happened with Carson Wentz, the offensive line, the pass blocking, and where this team goes from here in multiple ways is none other than the great Ross Tucker, of course, a former Washington offensive lineman who played in the league for several years. He also one of the go-to analysts around these days. Uh, he's got his own podcast, the Ross Tucker Podcast. He's one of the hosts of the Philadelphia Eagles pre-game, pre-game show. I was on there last week with him, and uh, he's seen a lot of Carson Wentz over the years, so had a chance to talk to him, what he has seen there. Very insightful on a lot of levels. And we talked about other things beyond Wentz and the line, but that was obviously a big topic for sure. And as I said, of course, it's Dallas week. Michael Phillips from the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Uh, and I spoke today, I'm talking to you guys on Thursday. We spoke earlier today out at the park about this game, what Washington needs to get done, We, you know, how much of the last year's uh, <laughs> lopsided, I don't think even describes what really happened in that game at Dallas uh, where Washington got, got cooked. Uh, got swept by Dallas last year. How much does that factor in? What's, what's going to happen this week? The Micah Parsons factor, all that and more. So we'll get to that in just a few minutes here on the podcast. Uh, you know the drill. Subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. iTunes, Spotify, and I, I haven't really asked this in a minute, but or at least I don't think I have. Ratings and reviews definitely help a lot on the iTunes. So if you've got a second, Appreciate you going there, dropping a rating and a review. Uh, doesn't take long. It, it helps the podcast though immensely, and I really do appreciate that. Not to mention, if you've got anybody out there, you know, who who is still engaged with this team, I would love it if you let them know about this podcast and why you think they should listen to it. Uh, as for my work at the Athletic, a new article up today that I think some of you found interesting. Ron Rivera has said a lot that when they took on Carson Wentz's. $28.3 million salary cap hit, that that changed their plans uh, in terms of what else they were going to do in the offseason. And that's, of course, a reasonable thing, for sure. The question, though, is did it make it so they couldn't do, they, they could do as little as they've done here the, it, it, since that move? As we know, they really were pretty quiet in free agency. And even now, as injuries have piled up in certain areas, they've largely just gone out and guys, uh, picked up you know, random pieces off the street or claimed off waivers rather than sort of even looking at veterans out there. 
again, not saying you're going to find difference makers at this point in the year, but, you know, players who at least have some experience, they haven't done that. And part of the reason why is they chose, it appears, to not be as aggressive on the salary cap the way I, even after the Wentz deal. There's always ways to manipulate the cap. They have largely chosen not to. Uh, I discussed that with former cap analyst uh, for Washington, uh, J.I. Halzel. I also spoke to, uh, as I said, obviously with Ross Tucker, got his input in this story as well because of the offensive line, how much, you know, with going with Norwell and Trey Turner, different than, you know, perhaps if they'd been a little more aggressive at that spot, but a lot to get into there. So you can check that out on The Athletic. You can still get The Athletic for a dollar a month. Click on the article or any of my articles and sign up there. All right. Uh, I don't want to uh, dilly-dally too long here. Uh, just quickly, though, out of practice today. So there'll be one more day of practice, obviously. Wes Schweitzer, though, has not practiced either day this week with a concussion. The fact that he hasn't practiced by today would make me think he's not going to play this week. It would therefore appear that Nick Martin, brother of Dallas's Zach Martin, uh, Pro Bowl guard there, who's only been signed here for a couple of weeks, it seems to be in line to play, which would mean a third starting center in four games. This is just unreal. Last year, they used five different players at center. They're already at three and four games. Uh, you know, Nick Martin has been around the league. He has played. So, you know, in talking to Charles Leno about this today, he said it was pretty, you know, they didn't really have to do too much to get him up to speed. But needless to say, coming off the game they just had in Philadelphia where the pass rush really just kind of worked over the line and went. And now you have a Dallas team with Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence, that just absolutely hammered. Daniel Jones in a Monday night win, the offensive line protection is going to be a huge start, uh, a huge point for this game, and Washington may have a new center there. Other than that, everybody else looks pretty good. Charles Leno's got a shoulder situation, but he said he should be fine. Everybody else practiced in full, including the three defensive linemen who missed last week's games, James Smith-Williams, Casey Tuhill, and Daniel Wise. So good news on that front. Same with William Jackson, who did not play last week either. So that's kind of where we are on the injury front. Uh, more to come. I'll have a new article up on Friday about this game. All right, but let's get to this. We'll start with Ross Tucker. And then we'll get to Michael Phillips. So we'll talk Carson Wentz, the offensive line, what can be done to fix this, and we'll talk Dallas week. Exciting for you to hear it all. Let's do it right here on the Standard Groom Only Podcast. All right. Joining the podcast, as promised, he is, of course, now one of the go-to NFL analysts out there, a former NFL player who spent some time in these parts. He is, of course, the great Ross Tucker and uh, Ross, I appreciate the time. Has always had a chance to talk to you on the pregame show for what you do with the Eagles. Um, but it's good to see you face to face here over Zoom. How are you? Likewise, Ben, doing great, man. Yes, thank you for coming on the pregame show, uh, which is always fun to do. And yeah, that was a very, very important game in the minds of the Eagles fans, as you might imagine. A lot of people were really geared up for that one. Because it A was a division game, B involved Carson. And honestly, like talking with people this week, the game really could not have gone better from their perspective of what they wanted to see happen. <laughs> no, no doubt. You know, it's funny. Like, 
I'm getting my first taste of Carson Wentz day to day, as it were. And, you know, I tr- I'm aware of the criticism and what people have said and the concerns, but you, I try to look at it as objectively as I can and see these things unfold for myself. And you definitely see components of the concerns that people had, some of the inaccuracies, um, things like that. But this was the game where, uh, well, actually, let me let me say it like this. When people have asked me, how's it going? I'm like, well, look, I mean, you know, not that bad. You see the upside with his potential. The Jacksonville game in the fourth quarter, two of the throws he made for touchdowns late, were as pretty as you'll see all year. And everything's going pretty well. But this was the game where I was like, oh, now I can really, for the first time, truly see the concern that, that so many people had just from the football perspective and that it came against Philadelphia really just sort of drove that point home. Yeah, so I thought he did some really good things in the first couple of weeks against Jacksonville and Detroit. But I also thought you could see some of the issues with Carson, which is holding on to the football. He had a couple of plays in each of those games that really hurt the team, you know, and, and he's he's kind of good for those. I think what Commanders fans have gotten so far this year is sort of what they're going to get, right? I mean, you're going to get some really good throws, some really good plays. There are going to be times when you're going to think, man, this could be our guy for a long time. Unfortunately for him, and this has been the case to some extent since 2018, but definitely 2020, it's interesting. He's not nearly as bad as he was in 2020, but he's also not what he was in 2017. And the thing that's hard to understand, Ben, is he's never corrected some of these issues. And it doesn't appear as if he's capable of doing so. And so I think where where I'm at with Carson is that he'll probably be perennially between the, I don't know, maybe 18th and 26th best quarterback in the NFL, depending on who the other guys are and how well he's playing during that stretch when you're doing the rankings, you know? Um, And then you kind of have to decide whether or not that's good enough for you. And my guess is, Most teams, because people look at that and say, well, if he's 18 to 24, then he'll always be a starting quarterback. I don't really think that's the case because I think if you're 18 to 26, let's say, I think teams will say, well, what are we really doing with this? Like, what what are we building here? If we know the guy is not a top 20 quarterback in our mind or are, is this someone we're building around or would we rather have somebody else younger that maybe can become better than that? Um, specifically Sunday against the Eagles, you know, I think he got a little shell shocked. The first two sacks were legit. You know, Josh Sweat beat Leno around the edge and got him low. Then Fletcher Cox, uh, bull rush Trey Turner and hit Carson right in the mouth. Right. And maybe he was already in his head a little bit about playing the Eagles. But after that, um, he kind of got shell-shocked a little bit because I think and, – and saying 
how many sacks are on him versus offensive line or some other position is very subjective, right? And I was taught in college that one of the first things you always want to do is try to identify the inherent bias of the person that is giving the information. I'm a former offensive lineman. Right. So I tried to be objective. I tried to be conservative. But I felt like four of those sacks, he has got to get rid of the ball. Like at least four of those, that is on the quarterback. You had three seconds. Throw the ball to somebody or throw the ball away. Now, I've had people say to me, I've had quarterback and other people say, nah, it's only two or three were on him. I've had other people say they thought five were on him. I think three or four is probably the, the median number, right, that are directly attributable to him. What I would say to people is watch that tape and ask yourself, on how many of those plays is Tom Brady getting sacked? On how many of those plays is Aaron Rodgers getting sacked? And the answer is significantly less. Because sacks are a quarterback stat more than people realize because they're the ones with the ball. They're the ones that have the control of getting rid of the ball or not. That doesn't absolve the offensive line of how they played. They didn't play great. And interestingly, it was guys taking turns. It was Leno getting beat by sweat. It was Norwell getting beat by Javon Hargrave. It was Trey Turner getting beat by Fletcher Cox. It was Cosme getting beat a number of times. At right tackle. So um, that doesn't absolve the offensive line. They have to play better. But the fact that he takes some of the sacks that he takes, and then even worse, Ben, appears to have on some plays no pocket presence or awareness. And the one that kills me is when guys rush past them and go around the edge, right? As an offensive tackle, you did your job. You got the guy to run around the quarterback. He has this tendency to hold on to it and start to bail to the side where the guy away from where the guy came. That's where the guy's still running. Right. He's still running at that. Um, he's still running at that at that point in that direction. And then to compound things, Ben, as I end my TED talk here, um, <laughs> he he fumbles. Then he fumbles a lot. So. Holding on to the ball is issue one, but then not holding on to the ball is even a bigger issue, which is something he has consistently, consistently done. Yeah, I think the the, the fifth sack, I think is sort of maybe the one that you're talking about on some level where Brandon Graham goes around, uh, I guess it's around Cosme and Trey Turner actually kind of bumps Brandon Graham uh, past Cosby, but anyway, uh, Wentz is in the pocket. He kind of moves up. Graham sort of follows him, and he uh, th that's when he fumbles. And there's two re there's two receivers underneath that were open. Whether he, Carson Wentz could see it is another story. But like that was an opportunity to get rid of the ball. And um, I had Jay Gruden on the podcast this week, and we talked about that. And he thought that was the worst, uh, the worst one of all the ones that Wentz did. All that said, this is who this guy is. He has the, this is a history. This isn't just like a one off. So from your perspective as an offensive lineman, as a guy who studies this game, what can Washington do, especially going forward this week when you're facing a Dallas team who harassed Daniel Jones somehow even more than what Philly just did to Washington? So 
I, I like what you said there because to me, and I think he's a good coordinator, but a lot of that's on Scott Turner too. It's like, hey, Scott, are you watching the game? Like, are you seeing what's happening? The guy won't get rid of the ball. He's shell-shocked. You might want to do some quick game. You might want to stick with the run a little bit more, which they were actually having decent success on. You know, do some anything other than a seven-step drop where he's getting killed. Um, That, to me, is a big, big part. Because I got to tell you, Ben, the Cowboys are the wrong team to play if you're holding on to the ball. Demarcus Lawrence is fantastic and just had three sacks. I think Micah Parsons is the best defensive player in the league. I mean, I think he's the front runner right now for defensive player of the year. And if you notice, ESPN had some stat Monday night. Maybe you can Google it or something, Ben. Maybe you already saw it. But they they have like an average time to pressure. Like the average time before the pass rusher gets pressure. Right. And Von Miller was second at like 2.76. And Bosa was like third at 2.96. Micah Parsons was like at 2.36. That's a big difference. Four tenths of a second. That means he's getting pressure a lot in two seconds or less for that to be the average. Right. And so... Everybody has a plan for him now. I mean, the Giants were double-teaming him wherever he went. He still ran over the guard and got pressure. But Carson needs to realize, and Scott Turner – well, first of all, Scott Turner needs to realize, I got to get the ball out of his hands quickly, somehow, some way. And then Carson needs to realize he's never gotten this, Ben. I watched every snap he played for the Eagles. He won't throw the ball away. He won't do it. And I think – it's because he was so good in high school compared to North Dakota kids and so good in college compared to FCS kids. And by the way, his O-line was awesome in college. I mean, they were they were North Dakota State. They win the, state, they win the national championship every year. Then with the Eagles, his O-line was actually pretty awesome. So he didn't have to be under duress a lot. He doesn't realize that throwing the football away is a winning play in the NFL. Right. That's a winning play. Like pro football focus, they will give you a plus sometimes when you throw the football away because that was the right play. That was the right decision. That was the right move. Uh, my my listeners, I think I've heard me say this before, but the, the moment that this offseason that got me concerned was it was their preseason game at Kansas City. They were scoreless on the first two drives with Wentz. The third drive, they get in a field goal range. It's third down, and he takes a sack. One of these sacks where he ha- he has the ball for a while, takes the sack. They're out of field goal range. And afterwards, when asked about that, he's like, "Yeah, I knew the situation, but when you get under pressure, sometimes instinct takes over." And then when I subsequently talked to him one on one, I brought this up because I was like, "How do you fix instincts?" And he's like, "Look, I I think out there that there's a touchdown every play, a touchdown available on every play." even though I know that's not really true. But ultimately, that's the thing. When when S hits the fan, the instinct is to try to still try to make the play. And that, I think, is like kind of what you're saying. Like, that's what we saw. And you know what? I, I think he did that in 2017 when he was going to be the MVP until he got hurt his second year. But a couple thoughts on that. Number one, the offensive line was really good. So 
he kind of had time to make those extra plays. Number two, he was just a little bit stronger and a little bit faster because it was before the torn ACL. It was before the back injury. And so what I tell people all the time, Ben, is like a little bit in the NFL makes a big difference. That (laughs) little bit can be the difference, in fact. And I think he's kind of failing to realize that. I had a back surgery in Buffalo, and it made me just a tiny bit less explosive, less athletic. Well, here's the problem, Ben. I was average at best in those two categories to start. So if you're average at best and you lose a little bit, guess what? You're below average. That's a problem. And that was the difference for me between starting 25 games in three years and and being on a team every year to bouncing around, you know, the, the last three years and never starting another regular season game. And that was the difference is just that little bit. Um, and he, he hasn't realized that. And unfortunately, I don't think he ever will. And so what I envision happening is, The commanders, you know, win some, lose some. But at some point, they're going to kind of realize, wait a minute. We, we, We really need somebody better at this position. Like, we really, this guy's not our answer here. Maybe we should see what Sam Howell has. Because And and knowing Ron Rivera, it probably won't happen until they're, like, out of the playoff race, you know, until they're, like, four and seven maybe or five and eight, but I think at some point they'll realize, well, we're not in the playoff race anymore. And do we really want this guy to be our quarterback next year? Like, do we think it'll be better next year? My guess is their answer will be no. And so maybe they'll give Sam Howell the last four or five games to see what he can be on the roster in 2023. And then, Carson will be elsewhere next year and maybe he'll be a starter somewhere else again, or maybe it'll be the backup stage of his career. I'm not sure, but I don't really envision him getting this corrected because it's been every year and it actually, you know, the last few years have been, think about this. Indianapolis should have made the playoffs and they could not wait to move on from him because I think what's interesting about him is, I don't know about the off the field stuff or the locker room stuff. He's always been fantastic to me. Love him as a guy. Love him as a guy. Right. Fantastic. Awesome dude. But there's obviously something there, whatever it is. Um, And I think also some of the kind of brain fart plays, negative plays are so bad. They're so bad that it's like they get multiplied. (laughs) You know, they're, they're like exponentially worse right. than just a bad interception or whatever. They're like so bad because he's trying to do something so ridiculous that it really gets magnified. And you don't just treat it as one bad play in your head. In your head for the owner or the GM, it's like five bad plays because it just is so egregious that you just can't believe he tried to do that. 
um fa- fair enough on all that and i appreciate that perspective L- let me ask you about the offensive line since that is what you what you did um you know you you, you know for assigning some measure of blame to x amount of sacks on Wentz, it sounds like the general consensus is the result will be more on the line um and you know watching the watching the tape as you said it was kind of coming from all over the place um, but to focus specifically on the interior line play with the two guards, Andrew Norwell and Trey Turner, who uh, just came in uh, this offseason after they moved on from Brandon Scherf, which is a money thing. We understand that. And Eric Flowers was a salary cap thing. What's your view of those two guys at this point? Because my wonder also is if we're sort of saying that Went is kind of who he is, I'm wondering if those guys are who they are. And I don't mean that in a good way either. A thousand percent. Those guys are who they are. Um, they are guys that you can win with, but they're not good enough that you're going to win because of. And you don't want to pay them a whole lot at this stage. And you probably are looking for better unless they'll play for really cheap. That's so- how I would describe it. So previously- I think most people would think you could probably get a younger guy who can improve for less money. Uh, for the last decade, they've either had Trent Williams. Well, they had Trent Williams and Brandon Sheriff, but they were at least had one of them for the last couple of years. Two guys who are, you know, best of their position things, or you know, close to or things like that. So when you have that type of anchor, does that make it easier then to have the Norwell or the or the Turner type that we're talking about, whereas now Charles Leno is solid. Sam Cosme is an up-and-coming guy. Chase Ray, when healthy, is solid, but they don't have those anchors. Is that like also a factor here with what's going on with the line? I don't think that's that. I mean, look, I think the better players you have, the better, obviously. And it really helps if you have a stud like Trent or whatever. But I've always kind of made the case – Ben, that your offensive line more than any other position, you'd rather have five average players than have two pro bowlers and three below average guys, if that makes sense. Sure. Whereas like at D-line, no. At secondary, probably not. You know, receiver, no, you'd rather have the all-pro types and then the other guys just don't play as much or whatever. Offensive line, five guys have to play. And on some level, you're only as bad – you're only as good as your weakest link. And you can usually sort of uh, hide one guy. You can kind of protect one guy with scheme. You get more than one guy that's a liability, you got problems. You got real problems. I think losing Chase Roulier really hurt them. Um, But on the D-line, a star can make up for the guy next to him being below average because the star can make plays in the backfield. The below average guy just stays in his gap, whatever. On the offensive line, there's nothing Trent Williams can do if the center sucks. You know what I mean? Like nothing. Right, right. right. You know, you can't can't help him. Like – I've been in that situation. I played left guard for Washington on a Monday night against the Eagles. I was next to Chris Samuels, who was unbelievable. And I was getting smoked. (laughs) It was not good. And Chris Samuels was looking at me like, 
just kind of shrugged like nothing I can do, bro. <laughs> like, like, like I wish I could help you, but I can't block them for you, buddy. <laughs> I, I I hear. Um, I know I need to let you go. Let, let me just uh, turn away from all that. You just watch them play. You've seen them play other games. W- what's your positive for for this team right now? As they're going into Dallas and going to the rest of the year, it's still early as far as this year. You know, they get a win this week, and you know they're feeling better about the world. W- what were your positive takeaways from this team, either from this game or just uh, overall? Well, my my positive takeaways from the. Uh, overall because they weren't great in this game right i think they have some really good weapons you know and when they get brian robinson back i can't believe Jahan dotson dropped that pass ben i watch every snap of penn state football i've never seen him drop a ball before I, you I, you should google it i don't think i've ever seen Jahan dotson drop a pass before um so that was stunning to me that he dropped that but their receivers are legit they have three legit receivers they have a really good tight end and I think their D tackles are absolute studs. Those are two of the more important positions in the modern NFL, right? I would say their top five positions, D tackle and receiver. And, and Washington has very good players at both those spots, which is a good place to kind of start from. Although haven't they kind of already decided they're not going to pay Deron Payne, which seems like a mistake, but they only have so much money to go around. Man, that that's a shame. You draft a guy that good, and you can't find a way to keep him. <laughs> right. Well, we'll see what happens in the offseason. But, yeah, I mean, the, the uh, what I was reporting was like they weren't going to extend him. They obviously didn't. We'll see what kind of choices they make. It's hard to keep all four of those guys on the line. If you assume they're keeping Chase Young, then they've already paid Allen. Then Deron Payne or Montez Sweat, can you keep them both? I think that's the uh, the question they're going to have to wrestle with uh, for sure. Um, he is at Ross Tucker NFL on Twitter. Go listen to the podcast. Uh, it's also, you can find it on Twitter, the at Ross Tucker pod, uh, a must listen. And this guy is literally everywhere. Uh, you have so many jobs. I don't even know how to keep track of it. You can always find Ross everywhere, which is a good thing for on multiple reasons. I'm trying, man. I, ben, I'm just trying to avoid a real job as long as I possibly can. I had internships when I played for Washington with like Merrill Lynch and stuff. Thank goodness. I don't have to do that stuff. Um, <laughs> I enjoy your coverage. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. Thanks, man. All right. Joining the podcast, as promised, is none other than Michael Phillips from the Richmond Times-Dispatch. We are out here in Commander's Land uh, on this Thursday. We just watched guys stretch and, and, and move around a little bit. Based on that, do you have a prediction just solely based on today's performance in practice that we saw for 10 minutes? Well, I, I think William Jackson will play. He looked he looked like he was going through everything. I don't know if that contributes positively to the outcome of the game. Uh, St. Juice, I mean, arguably played better than Jackson had before that point. I, I think that's, I mean, that's an indictment on on the signing uh, of William Jackson, that, you know, but I... Props to St. Juicy did his thing. Uh, look, I've been saying it all week. I will say it on the standard room. I think I think the Commanders are going to win. Wow. I think the Commanders are going to go down there and win the football game. I think anytime the narrative becomes Carson Wentz's toast, he finds a way back. Like he just he strings you along just long enough. I think the matchup is a little more favorable. I think the pressure comes from the ends instead of the interior this week, um, which is so you know, like, oh, look what they did to the Giants. They'll do that to him. I don't know that that's 100% true. They're going to get some pressure on him, obviously. But I don't think he's going to be in his head like he was last week either. 
So I think he'll be able, able to bounce back maybe a little better. Uh, since we're just jumping right in, you know, oh, yeah, there, right. there's, you know, there's a, you know, you've been known to to, to place a wager, uh, as have I. There's a gambling notion. Uh, Kevin Sheen calls it the smell test. Mm-hmm. When things are going too hard in one direction, yeah. look for the opportunity. So that is the question. He sort of posed it right there by saying everybody's dumping on Carson Wentz and saying it's over, we can move on. And to some degree, that's kind of where we're at with this team. Back to back, terrible first halves mm-hmm. where they get shut out. You lose this game in a not-so-pretty way, and people will be talking law season to that point. And, look, even this week, I don't buy this, but there's been this narrative out there of, like, is it time to fire Ron Rivera? Yeah. That's as bad as dark as you can get. So to that end, do you, do you think this is, like, sort of the smell test? Is that kind of what you're saying overall? That's what I'm saying overall. I mean, I ever agree with everything you just said. Because, like, look, if they lose and they're 1-3, and three, what we know of Ron Rivera is they're going to go on a run in November. They're going to, you know, win some games. Maybe sneak into a nine-win wild card. You could do it. It's it's not unthinkable. Um, but it's different from a fan perception. Um, and just you, you would lose all of this momentum of the name change and, and the excitement you've built. And I mean, the reason the fire run narrative is out there because people felt burned last week. Like this whole offseason, like, hey, FedEx is new. This is exciting. This team's exciting. This run's third year. Good things are going to happen. And then, like, is Lucy pulling the football back from Charlie Brown? Like, whoa, uh, nah, just kidding. Here's uh, here's the Eagles dominating you and all their fans. Like, that one stung. That hurt people. Like, that loss hurt. And that's what people, you know, people react emotionally when they're hurt. And and so that's where that that's where the fire run's coming from. And so you add that with, I know we'll talk about the rivalry, but whatever it is, it means something to some people. And so if, if you embarrass yourself again against Dallas on a game that, you know, not a full national broadcast, but, you know, the, the, the A team's there, it wouldn't sit well. You know, it's funny, like, for some franchises, there's a certain NBA team in town that has this problem. Hypothetically. H- hypothetically. <laughs> that they're afraid to go to the bottom because they don't think the fan base will stay around and, yeah. and so on. Now, this fan base has already eroded over the last 20 years, as we all know. But to some degree, they're playing the same game. Ron Rivera said they're going to go out and get a, a quarterback upgrade and this, that, and the other, and they go get Carson Wentz. And I've said he is an upgrade talent-wise over what they had, but they didn't necessarily make the other steps to, to, to go forward. So the idea that you upgraded a quarterback alone doesn't put you into the contender category. And I think to that end, that's what that game kind of showed. I mean, the Detroit game did as well, but to do it, one game can happen. To do it yeah. immediately, the almost the exact yeah. same way, and then you had the invasion of the Eagles fans and all that. I totally agree with you on the disheartening uh, factor there. Um, it's also like if you if you drop goose eggs in the second half of games, at least everybody hung around. But like, I I haven't seen the TV ratings. I would imagine a lot of people flipped it off at halftime. Like in Detroit too. Like they did some nice things in the second half in Detroit, and I bet nobody saw it. Like <laughs> like if obviously there's people who watched to the finish, but a lot of people. After a half like that, check check out. They're done. And and to that point, we were talking a little bit about this yesterday here in the media room. The season is going – if they lose this game, is going to sort of be like that. If you go one and three, and particularly if it's another ugly performance, yeah. how many of the fans will sort of check out regardless of if there was another Ron Rivera second-half surge, which he's done – his teams have done it during their career. Will the fans be like, all right, but I mean we've already kind of – the season's already kind of going away. You're going to get to maybe 500 – Okay, we can talk about that, but I mean later. But that's I'm losing my interest now, and that's why this game is important 
for lots of reasons uh, in, in, in that regard. Yeah, and for Carson Wentz, too, because, you know, he's on a one-year contract, essentially. And so if, you lo- if, if they embarrass themselves this week and everybody jumps ship and then they have a rally and they run to the wild card, I still think it's hard for him to get another contract here. I think everybody will have just set in their minds he's not the guy at that point. If he's playing to be a long-term solution here, I think that's a full-season long-term solution, not, not a late-season surge long-term solution that you know it, there there are I'll just say this, there are ways they can lose the game and still be respectable but it zero points in the first half is not that way Cor- correct a million percent correct um you mentioned the rivalry dallas week dallas week like i mean you know i'm old and so as a kid of course i i, I inherited yeah. some of this some of the stuff the old george allen you know you know when it was a true blood feud and then you get through the 80s and you know it, i still say as a person who was alive at that moment in time beating dallas in the 82 nfc championship game was as big or bigger than some of the super bowl wins sure. in, because you ca- nobody thought you were getting they were getting past dallas then they did and then obviously you know the, the, it, it continues for years and years the rivalry how, how long have you been on the beat since what year uh since, since the rg3 years since 12 okay so Clearly, it's not what it was yeah. to the 80s and the 70s, 80s, and, and early 90s. But I don't even know if it's what it was a decade ago. I, I'm forever grateful I showed up for Robert beating the Cowboys, Alfred Morris beating the Cowboys to, to claim <laughs> yeah. to claim the playoff spot because I I feel like I, I got at least a little taste of, of what it could be or what it was that that we really haven't tasted since. I'm, I was looking up something uh, about this rivalry online. ESPN, I guess at the end of the 20th century, did a list of the top 10 rivalries in the in the entire 20th century. Okay. So you had like Muhammad Ali, Joe Lewis, okay. Ohio State, Michigan, Duke, Carolina, yeah. and the only NFL matchup in the top in the top 10. Yeah. Washington, Dallas. Yeah. Can you even imagine? Like I don't even know where that would rank. Or where do you think that would even rank as a rivalry in the league for just the NFL right now? I mean, it doesn't feel like it's one we care about it, and the networks do to some degree, but like I don't know that anybody. Cares, and we know why. It's not just Washington. Dallas yeah. hasn't been completely irrelevant most of this time either. I'll channel my, my inner old guy with you here first. Like they, Everything's so player-driven now. I think if, what was the greatest rivalry of the 2000s in the NFL, I think you'd say it was Patriots-Colts. It, it was Manning-Brady. Those were the games you, you couldn't miss. Like right. The Patriots and the Colts are not rivals in any sense of the word. <laughs> and right. if they played Sunday... It wouldn't even be a 425 kickoff. Like, <laughs> nobody would care. So it, it's such a player-driven league now. It's become a very different environment. Like, Packers-Bears only has its remaining juice because Aaron Rodgers yells at them every time they play. <laughs> like, that, that is what keeps Packers-Bears juicy. Um, you know, like, I, I, when I grew up as Chiefs Raiders, obviously, in, in the Midwest, that, that's not a thing anymore. It, maybe if, if Herbert gets good, Chiefs Chargers, I think, will be a thing. It's so, so player-driven now. But, but... I do think this. I think winning there matters. And what I don't quite know how to separate is how much is the rivalry and how much is just it's the Cowboys, period. Like every team right. wants to beat the Cowboys. Kind of like Cowboys. every team thought Duke was their biggest rival yeah. during the heyday of Fischewski. Yeah. And- yeah, exactly. Like Colt McCoy winning in Dallas. That's a game I remember. Like I, I, there's so few, like if you games I remember like from the last decade, like that's one that pops up right away. That was notable. Is that notable because of the rivalry or is that notable because – it was in Dallas, and it was a fun story and all that. I, I don't know how to separate those two things. But it, certainly playing the Cowboys in Dallas 
still matters on some level. What I don't know is how much of that is the rivalry and how much of that is they're the evil empire. And every time you turn on ESPN, somebody's yapping about them and it drives you nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So we've talked a lot here about uh, already on this episode about the offensive line and Wentz and how they need to fix that. Beyond that, what do you think is the biggest thing for you that Washington needs to do in this game to win, but you know, at least be successful? Yeah, and I thought there was defensive improvement last week, so I want to start there. I, I think the defense took a step forward last week. I don't even know that they need they, they at some point this year they need to take another step forward, but they need to sustain last week's step forward. I think the Cowboys offense, hot take here, the Cowboys offense is not as good as the Eagles offense right now with the personnel they've Man, the Eagles were kind of fun to watch. Like, holy cow. Some of the catches they were making, yeah. Cowboys don't have that talent. They don't have that talent at quarterback. They don't have that talent at receiver. They're not as talented as the Eagles. Like, initial, my initial reaction, probably a lot of people, was, oh, Kendall Fuller didn't really have a good day. And then you go back and yeah. watch the plays. Like, Devontae Smith just made some insane Unreal. catches. Unreal. Absolutely. I think if the, if the defense plays as it did last week, they'll be just fine. So I don't even think they need to take step forward. I think they need to sustain. But I'll, I'll put one key on the board for you, takeaways. They have one takeaway. It's the Derek Forrest interception at the very end of the Jacksonville game when Trevor Lawrence was throwing it up. So they have no game-changing, momentum-changing big play takeaways, and that is how you win football games. I mean, what still the number one stat, I would guess, that correlates with, with final score is turnover margin. Like, you look at turnover margin, nine times out of ten, it's going to tell you who's going to win the football game. You have to create some game-changing plays. You have to give your offense something to work with. You can't just be good enough on the day-in, day-outs. And I know that Cooper Rush has looked pretty competent so far. Uh, he's yeah. 3-0 and as a starter. You know, they, they beat the Giants the other night, and kudos for, for all that. But, you know, when you play the game of like, as they did a couple of years ago, when you played, when they played a lot of the backup quarterbacks and they thrive there, I mean, this is one of those opportunities. You just came off a game against a guy who might be the front runner for MVP yeah. in Jalen Hurts. Uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence in week one, you know, is one of the better young quarterbacks in the league. And, you know, the Lions obviously had a lot of playmakers. Uh, Dallas's offense did enough last week, but it's hardly spectacular mm-hmm. at this point. Ezekiel Elliott is, you know, sort of the three three yards in a cloud of dust type of running back at this point. Um, they do have really good receivers, of course, but Cooper Rush is there. I want to say to be had. I don't want to completely discount him, but this isn't Brady. This isn't Rodgers. This is a guy to take advantage of. And to your point of turnovers, they really need to uh, wor- work that out. Um, we're talking in the moment here that, that they got to you know, look better now. And that's, of course, too. The last time they, these two teams played was in Dallas, and as we recall, it was an absolute smushing in more ways than one. It was a smushing. Oh, I like that. That's <laughs> our, ah, that's good. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, obviously they got destroyed on the field. They had to fight on the sideline with John Allen and Deron Payne. Um, we are talking before we go into the locker room, and I imagine if that didn't happen yesterday that some kind of questions like this will come up to the team later today or, or, uh, late, or tomorrow. But do you think – does that any of that matter like the fact that they, that that happened last year for them, like personally, or is it just like, well, whatever? I already forgot what happened yesterday, let alone six months ago, and we just got to figure out how to win a game. Now, when we're talking to players yesterday, two players unprompted brought up the, how embarrassing the loss was last year. Terry McLaurin and Montez Sweat both did. So I I don't know if it's front and center, but they are cognizant of the fact that that 
that went poorly um, in a lot of different ways. I, you know, there's a lot of cleanup that still has to be done in that Payne, Payne Allen situation, like that, that has nothing to do with this week's game. But they're both playing very well. Uh, I think Payne's having, you know, a career year so far. I don't see any reason why he wouldn't. I don't see any reason why there would be any sort of hangover or lingering anything from that. Um, but it, it's going to be on everybody's mind in the same way that, the, you know, the Eagles fans showing up is a thing because the Eagles fans showing up has always been a thing. Like, you know, why do we focus on that? We focus on that because it's, it's a thing that's happened. You look out for it. You have to break these trends. You talk about creating change and creating culture change, which Ryan Gray keeps talking about. You have to break the trends of the past. And what happened in the past was they got embarrassed down there. So they, they need to not get embarrassed down there to show they're taking steps forward. Absolutely. By the way, speaking of that fight, did you see, because this went under the radar to me. I didn't know anything about this until recently. Mike Silver's report in over, during this this summer on the Allen and Payne. That they fought again at, at halftime? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I mean, I, I maybe I missed it. Was I, I don't know if I was at town know. that day or asleep, but, or was that like a, was that like a, and like it was talked about, like Allen had. I don't know that it became like a national thing or anything, but but yeah, they, they fought again in the locker room. Yeah, it says, pun, this, this, is, this is the article, punches were thrown, blood was spilled, and and sources said Allen suffered a grisly gash in his ear that required numerous stitches at game's end. I mean, obviously we already saw what we saw, but you know, I did to the degree that it went that uh, hardcore afterwards was was it was interesting and you know when Mike Silver was reporting it the guy that was working for the team at the time you know I'm imagining his sources were pretty good so um, <laughs> you think he's got a read on this eh, you know he might have a, he might have a feel for, uh, for for what happened there I was very surprised Deron Payne came back this season and I think it was a reflection on them not being able to get anything for him in a trade more so than their desire to have Deron Payne back this season that's my read on that. Yeah, I mean, without litigating that again, I mean, I, you know, I, I was told that he, they had made him available, but they weren't like, oh, hey, we got to get rid of him, like the way the Colts were with sure. Lance. Yeah. But that, that the way he was available, and I mean, to your point, that the. Uh, well, you consider his his compensatory pick is going to be a third if he bounces. So why would you take less than a third, or even a third? You take the third and a year of Deron Payne. Like somebody was going to have to come with a second right. to come get Deron Payne, and I just, you know. Coming off of that season, it feels like that wasn't going to happen. And also, the part of the Carson Wentz move isn't just the upgraded quarterback. It's it's a it's a it's a sign to say we need to win now. Yeah. Like they, they, they you know because they paid full sticker price for Wentz as I keep phrase I keep using over and over again in terms of the picks and the and the taking on the salary for a guy that you know a lot of people thought would just get waived in in a few more days you know indicated they had to do something and to that end if you trade to Ron Payne even if it's a good trade for future picks it doesn't help you today it doesn't help you this year and Ron Rivera seems to be in a mode of we gotta kind of win now even though after they've made the Wentz trade they kind of didn't do uh as much as they people would have liked um all right all that said uh, I think Rivera's way safer than people give him credit for, though, by the way. like Oh, I, yeah. he's not – I don't see anything happening this year. And then even beyond this year, he still would have two years left on his deal. I think a lot does depend on where we are with Dan Snyder and the NFL and Mary Joe White and all that stuff. But beyond that, yeah, I, I would agree. Especially if this ends with, like, a one-year suspension. Like, is Tanya going to fire Ron? Like, I don't know. Just feels like he's – very safe. And he's also a very popular figure around the league. Like, yes. from the outside, getting rid of him. In, regardless of whatever you think yes. of his coaching, people mm-hmm. will be like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. Yes. Um, before I ask you for your your prediction, I mean, you, know, you already said that you think they're going to win but in terms of, like, specifics. Mm-hmm. For people who have – I know at least one person who is going to Jerry World for the first time. Mm-hmm. That person is currently talking. 
Yeah. I have not actually been there for odd reasons. You know, it's one of my favorites. So give me and anybody who's give 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 me the the the, the reporter view of what I'm going to be getting. But give the give the people who maybe haven't been if they're going to go. The, what they need to see at, what is it, the eighth wonder of the world or something. It's not a downtown arena. It's not in Dallas or in Fort Worth. It's between the two. You see it when you're 10 minutes away on the highway. Like, you're seven miles away, like, just hovering above you <laughs> like an alien spaceship. Everything there is just done, like, so first class. Um, I, it's a little bit like it's what Trump thinks his products are is what Jerry Jones's products actually are. Like, everything's so well-organized. The food is good. The lines are smooth. They have, like, one of the world's most expensive private art collections, like, on display throughout. Like, it's it's not like this gaudy, tacky Texas thing. It's like there's, like, it, it actually is nice inside, like, legitimately nice. Um, the TV is insane. Like, yeah. The, the big screen is is everything people say it is like it just it is mesmerizing they do a, one thing i wish they would do more of at fedex is entertain people during the timeouts during the commercials as opposed to just you know doing a sponsor read or making everybody sit on their hands they are they keep that those fans engaged the whole game like it, it's a it's a good live experience it's not an afterthought some places like that's an afterthought like we're staging we're staging a football game you're welcome to come watch it, it your experience as a person in that stadium is top of their mind at all times. They'll entertain you. The, the music will entertain you. The, the TV will entertain you. Um, all the seats are good seats for the most part. Uh, it's I bet they'll open up the sides, let, let the breeze in. Um, it'd be nice. So I don't have to bring, I don't, I don't have to create a mixtape to entertain myself <laughs> or, or organize an apple tasting yeah, contest in between, in between commercials. <laughs> we're, we're good, you're saying? There you go. Um, all right. Um, I think I don't... Maybe this is being overreactive to what's happened. I don't see them winning after watching what Dallas did that pass rush did to the Giants and seeing Washington's offensive line and Carson Wentz. I just don't know how you fix that enough over the next few days. That said, Dallas is on a short week. I mentioned the Cooper Rush aspect of this. So I'm not saying there's no shot, but I'm seeing something akin to like Dallas, you know, 27 20. Uh, you already said you think Washington wins. What do you think is ultimately the reason why they win? Yeah, I'll, I'll flip it. I'll go with like a 23-17 or somewhere in that ballpark. I haven't turned in the official card yet, but that, that that's where that's where I'm leaning when I do that. I, I think that the offense will finally get it going early in the game. I think that will be enough to be a difference maker. I'd, they've got to get a takeaway at some point. Why not Sunday? Why not against Cooper Rush? Feels like a thing. Could be. Uh, Michael, always appreciate it. At Michael P. R. T. D. on Twitter. Go read him in the Richmond Times Dispatch. Always an entertaining read and certainly a follow on Twitter. Uh, my guy, appreciate it. We'll uh, we'll see you Sunday in Dallas. See you Sunday.